Today we are continuing our study of the book of Esther, and today we're focusing on her big moment. This is the big moment right at the middle of the book where she speaks truth to power. She goes outside of herself. Here she is, a a very, very young woman. Probably we would consider her to be a a girl who's a slave, and she's speaking to the king of, of Persia. This is the one who considers himself to be a god, an infallible god, who holds everybody's lives in his hands very, very literally. And here a slave girl speaks truth to him and changes the course of history. So the question is about big moments today. And to ask you as we start, what are you going to do in the big moments? Sometimes big moments come to us, and sometimes big moments are created by us. But when big moments come to you, times of decision, times where you have to choose, and sometimes these choices are very difficult with big consequences, what are you going to do in that moment? Now, every life has big moments. Every life has big moments. Even when we're young, when we're first caught doing something wrong, not this is the first time we've done something wrong. When we're first caught doing something wrong, what are we going to do in that moment? That's a big moment. Are we going to admit where we have gone wrong? Are we going to um, confess and learn from it? Or are we going to blame our brother, right? What are we going to do in that big moment? That's a big moment. What are we going to do when we're a little older, maybe, and somebody at school is being bullied? Are we going to go along with it because it's kind of, you know, fun, everybody's doing it, feels good? Are we going to stay silent, let the person be bullied? Or are we going to say, hey, guys, that's not cool? What are we going to do in the big moments? Maybe if we're offered something that's harmful to us, uh, drugs, whatever, what are we going to do in that big moment? Are we going to say, sure, or are we going to say, no thanks, I'm good? Get a little older, what are we going to do when casual sex is celebrated? And there seems to be a cultural celebration of casual sex where it becomes dehumanizing even. What are we going to do in that season of life? Are we going to dive in or are we going to make a commitment to treat people better than that, more human? When we're married... And we're having a big fight at home, got knocked down, drag out, and voices are raised, and, and tensions are high. What are we going to do in that big moment? Are we going to say something that could permanently scar the marriage? Or are we going to say, I'm going to back off a little bit, de-escalate, and we'll get back to it later? What are we going to do, perhaps, as a married woman and an old boyfriend reaches out to you on Facebook? It might feel good. Somebody's pursuing you. Your marriage might not be firing on all cylinders. Are you going to pursue that, entertain that, or cut it off immediately? What if a woman in your office starts pursuing you as a married man? Feels good to be desired. You're going to shut her down or be tantalized by the feeling and entertain that flattering connection. As a parent, what are you going to do when your kids maybe first start making some choices that aren't the greatest? Are you going to say, ah, it's just a phase, every kid does that? Or are you going to take the harder route and sit down and have big moments of good conversation with your kids that are open and honest and maybe send them down a better path? When you're older in years... And culture seems to pass you by. You don't quite relate with the culture of entertainment, technology, and you feel a little irrelevant. Are you going to shrink to a smaller and smaller world disconnected from the younger generations? Or are you going to say in a moment of courage, you know what, I'm going to stay engaged with our culture and stay engaged with the younger generation and try to make an impact. These are big moments that we all face personally throughout our lives. But there's also big moments that we can create as well. Big moments when we decide what to do with our lives. Are are we going to do things with our lives that are going to move the needle here? Are we going to do things with our lives that are going to make the world a better place or not? And so I want us to ask in our own minds, what is a cause you care about? How do you want to change the world? Just a little bit. Maybe not like Esther who saved a nation that ultimately gave birth to Jesus Christ himself. But what do you want to do with your own life? Where do you want to make a difference? Put in your mind as we get started with this, what's a cause that you care about? Because there could be a moment for you that's a big moment, 
a big decision to do something about this cause. Because we have some options in life. We can stay busy with ourselves and do nothing. And I'm not saying that to pile on guilt. It doesn't sound real great, but all of us are busy with, with life. I, I have never asked somebody, hey, uh, you know, how's it going in life? And somebody respond, well, I got nothing much to do. I'm just pretty much lounging. I've never met anybody like that. We all have busy lives and we're doing good things. And that's a good thing. But because we have such busy lives doing so many good things, maybe with family and friends and work and all that, raising kids, I get it, it's great. But maybe we haven't created margin to do something to make this world a better place. We could also comment with impassioned opinions. It tends to be very popular these days. Right, the social media platforms are just right for people to, to bloviate, to just comment with impassioned opinions. But impassioned opinions without actual action to change people's lives is just a waste of time and probably does more harm than good. I have no respect for people who love sharing their opinions but do nothing with their lives towards what they're passionate about. And so really the third option for us, and we see this as an example in Esther, is to actually really do something. In a moment of decision that might require a little bit of sacrifice, in a moment of decision to say, you know what, my heart, heart is breaking for this part of our broken world, but today is the day I'm going to step up and I'm going to actually do something to make a difference. I'm going to act, right? I'm going to join this group. I'm going to join this ministry. I'm going to build relationships with these kinds of people. I'm going to give a little money. I'm going to give a little of my time, and we're going to make something happen. And maybe the example from Esther will cause us to do the same. I'm not going to recount the story. We uh, recapped the story uh, last week, and I have to tell you, I did an amazing job. <laughs> an amazing job finding that nine-minute video to show to you. That was, uh, that was so good of me. Um, but we showed a nine-minute video from the Bible Project that told the story of Esther, and it, it is fantastic. Uh, you can check out the message from last week or go to the Bible Project, and every book of the Bible is nicely summarized there. But in short, this is happening in 470 B.C., King Xerxes is the emperor of the Persian Empire, which stretched from India to, to Greece, from South Russia to Ethiopia, a massive empire. He considered himself to be a god. He deposed his wife because she offended him by not parading around naked in front of his drunken friends. Yes, Esther is rated R. It is a, it is a, a tough book to read, so tough that some Christian leaders over history didn't even want it in the Bible. But it tells an amazing story of a woman caught in the most horrific circumstance. As Xerxes deposed his wife, he sent armies out to, to truly, literally collect, seize, gather hundreds of young girls, beautiful young virgins, for his pleasure. And they were prepared for a year to pleasure him for one night. It is the most disgusting thing. And so here is this girl, slave girl, that that is faced with a near impossible reality. She's the only one of Jewish descent that has any kind of a voice with the emperor Xerxes who has determined to slaughter every Jew. Esther 3.13. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces, 127 provinces of the Persian Empire, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on one single day. That's the command that went out from the Persian emperor because his right-hand man, Haman, was personally offended by one Jewish man, so he coerced Xerxes in, 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 in this drunken debauchery to put out this order to slaughter all Jews, men, women, children, throughout the empire. Esther's caught. The emperor doesn't know that she's Jewish. She wants to, in one, on one hand, hide her Jewishness because she would be at risk. On the other hand, she's the only Jewish voice that might save the Jewish people. 
But odds are nothing she would do can reverse the will of the emperor. He considered himself a god, and a god cannot make a mistake. And so when this god a king, Xerxes, gives the order to slaughter every single Jewish man, woman, and child and seize all their property, that can't be reversed because a god cannot reverse himself. So she's thinking, I am stuck. I can do no good. I'm just a slave. Esther 4.11. Esther says this about her own predicament. She's really struggling. All of the king's officials and even the people in the province know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called uh, called for me to come to him for 30 days. King just calls women to pleasure him, and he didn't call Esther uh, his queen for 30 days. And so she's saying, maybe he is done with me. Uh, maybe he doesn't value me. He hasn't asked me to come. Um, I, I, there's nothing I can give to him other than this voice of a girl that has no power. And if I speak, I'm probably going to die because I spoke without permission. She feels utterly trapped. Her adoptive father uh, and, and biological uncle comes to her and encourages her, encourages her, now get this, encourages her to risk her life to speak to the king. Now, by all accounts, Mordecai, her adopted father, and Esther got along great. They loved each other. But Mordecai felt compelled to compel Esther to compel the king to overturn his, his decree. And she's trapped. Imagine being a father convincing your daughter to risk her life. But this was for a greater cause. So Mordecai says to Esther, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, implied at some other time, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Now that phrase is one of the most popular in the entire Bible that perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Now, the word God is never mentioned in this book. So it's this R-rated book that never mentions God. And a lot of people have asked why it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible because of this. God providentially is working through all of our lives to accomplish his good purposes. Whether or not he's specifically referenced or not, specifically glorified or not, specifically acknowledged or not. And God uses us primarily in the big moments. The moments of decision, the moments of courage, what are we going to do with our lives? Now, Esther's big moment came when she decided to take action and speak truth to power. Odds are, she was going to die. You speak to the king like this, especially when you confront him. She was essentially asking him to reverse, in his mind, a divine decree. No doubt she would have been killed. This was her moment. This was her big moment when she took action to speak truth to power. She committed a capital crime in order to save her people. She entered the king's chambers uninvited. She spoke before she was spoken to. She confronted both the villain Haman for his evil plot and confronted Xerxes. Keep in mind, she's basically telling him, you were duped by Haman and you made a very bad decision. Imagine saying that to somebody who considers himself a god with godlike power. Here's how it went down. Esther masterfully created this scene and masterfully spoke into his life. Here's what she did. She made a banquet for his honor. If you want to get a guy to listen to you, make a banquet for their honor, right? She knows what she's doing. She might be young. She might be a slave. She might be abused, but she was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So here's this feast that she created for the emperor. While they were drinking wine... 
another incredible tactic to get somebody to do what you want them to do. The king said to Esther, tell me what you want. Queen Esther, what is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. Something you would only say when you're hammered. (laughs) Queen Esther replied, if I have found favor with the king, and this is a disturbing sentence, you know what favored um, with the king means. And if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Again, every single phrase is meant for his flattery, to butter him up, to manipulate him, to get him to overturn a decree. And it works. King Xerxes is infuriated. Who in the world would dare such a thing, dare to hurt you, my queen? He didn't know she was Jewish. She reveals she's Jewish, Jewish, so she reveals that her life is at risk because of what Haman did and because of Xerxes' terrible mistake. Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy, and pointed him right there in the room. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. This was masterful. This was brilliant, disturbing, given the context, but brilliant. She gets him intoxicated, uses the sexual favor that she has with him, uh, puffs up his ego, and traps Haman in this situational box that he can't get out of. In fact, he can say nothing. So here he is, the right-hand man of the God of the world by his own estimation, the most powerful person in the kingdom other than the emperor himself. And here's this slave girl, nabs him, eyes wide open, slack jaw, pale, and hours later, he was executed for his crime. Brilliant. That's why she's a hero. That's why she's a hero. She created a big moment and risked her own life to save a nation, the nation that gave us Jesus Christ himself. She became queen for such a time as this. Now, it's easy for us to look at a story like Esther and say, well, that's her story. That's a great story. That's kind of a nice, you know, sort of novel to read and wonderful. That's, but there's more to it. This is something for us as well. This is something for us to consider. We, too, will have big moments in our lives. Now, many of us have already had some big moments, and we can look back and say, okay, well, I did well there, and I stepped up there, and I didn't do well there, and, and that was kind of, you know, humiliating. I could have done better, and we all have our list of regrets, and we all have our list of successes in, in big moments. But let's talk about big moments going forward. We'll have more. Every one of us will have big moments. Every one of us will have our such a time as this moment. And what are we going to do at that period of, uh, of time? What are we going to do? How are we going to step up? I remember as I'm doing the Rolodex of my big moments, I remember one for me and my wife was in the year 2000. Uh, we just had twins. And um, here we have three young kids. And the household is just chaotic. Nobody can be prepared for twins. No one. Every time somebody says we have twins, my wife and I get back into our room and we pray for you mightily on our knees. It's, 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 it's brutal. It's fun later, but it's tough at the beginning. So here we are in these tough beginning stages. We have twin infants and a toddler, and my wife's total attention, rightfully so, is on the kids. Uh, I felt a little bit pushed out. I'm in the back seat, and so I just kind of leak towards where I feel like I'm affirmed, and I'm affirmed at church, and I had a business, and I'm building houses, and I'm doing all these things. 
where I, I'm getting pats on the back, which is kind of what I immaturely was craving. And she was wanting a husband and a partner, and we just kept frustrating each other, basically rejecting each other through that whole year plus. And our marriage was just getting worn down. We weren't angry and fighting and screaming, but we were wearing each other out. And we both had big, big moments, and I believe God providentially worked in her heart and my heart to be able to look at each other despite the resentment and to say, we've got to make some changes. And for us to have these big moments of apology, I'm so sorry, I did not appreciate you, I basically have been re rejecting you, I've been pursuing other things, and I am so sorry, and we have to rebuild this, this marriage. And we did. Took about a year, year and a half for both of us to kind of recreate our lives so we can prioritize time together. And that was our big moment, probably the biggest moment of, of my life up to this point. Because if we didn't step up to that moment, we may have a terrible marriage. We may have one of those pastor marriages that are hanging on, you know, by a thread, but showing up to church all happy and smiles and hugs and kisses and getting home to a disaster, right? There's a lot of those things that happen, not just in pastoral ministry, but everywhere. And we didn't walk that road because we stepped up for a big moment. There are other moments that I have of some regret, moments where I should have stepped up but didn't. There are two phone calls I wish I would have made in the course of my ministry here that I didn't make. I didn't think they were big deals, but big things happened later. And I, I'm, I'm thinking through my, my own life, what if I had made those phone calls? What if I was more proactive? And, and, and I, I don't, I'm not saying we should all live with those regrets of the failures, but let's learn from those regrets and let's do something proactive and make some big moments happen. So I want to close our time with this question. How can we be prepared for the big moments? We can be prepared for the big moments that come our way. Big moments either come our way or are made. And how are we going to handle those moments that come our way? Uh, I'm going to suggest that we do something um, uh, kind of weird in church to imagine scenarios of big moments that can happen. And here's the weird part. I want us to imagine that we are having an affair. You ready? In fact, I'm going to ask you to fantasize about having an affair. In church, your permission is granted. We're going to fantasize about having an affair. Here we go. You ready? This is a big moment that might come to you, right? Somebody might uh, ping you online. Somebody in the office might start flirting with you. There just could be opportunities in your life to cheat on your spouse. And even if you're not married, I'm going to ask you to fantasize about this, right? So a relationship is, is crossing boundaries, and now you have some decisions to make. Are you going to reply to that text? Are you going to reply to that DM? Uh, are you going to have a conversation that's probably not too appropriate? Are you going to just have one drink after work? Imagine, fantasize, fantasize, fantasize. Now you're in a sexual relationship. Go ahead, fantasize about that. But keep going. Fantasize, you just got caught. Fantasize that first, about that first conversation with your spouse after you were busted. Fantasize about the arguments day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Fantasize about having to tell your kids what you did. Fantasize about the divorce, the lawyers, the money, a split household. Imagine, fantasize, go for it. Just fantasize all the way. And if we fantasize all the way, we might make a better decision when the big moment comes. Because if we have trained our mind to fantasize all the way to the end and all the way to the pain and all the way to the consequences, maybe when somebody DMs us, they text message us, they are flirting with us in the office, we're like, I'm not going there. I've seen that. <laughs> and I don't want that, right? And maybe for some of you who have made some mistakes in the past like this, you've learned from those mistakes, right? And that is, is, is maybe haunting your, your memories. Learn from that and be prepared for the next one that comes. If we're not prepared for the big moments that come to us, 
we just might fail because all of us are human beings, all of us are weak, all of us are prone to failure. So let's strengthen ourselves by imagining the what ifs. What if this big moment comes? What if this opportunity to make a stupid mistake comes, right? What if this next fight with my spouse comes? I wanna think through that so I know what to do in the moment, I'm prepared. Uh, this last week, just a couple days ago, we got a terrible example of what it means to not be prepared for a big moment. Uh, Miles Garrett is now world famous for blowing it in a moment. NFL player, pretty good NFL player. He's known for being a really decent person off the field. He's known for being a little aggressive on the field, but nothing like this. Rips off the quarterback's helmet and assaults him with it. Smashes him on the head with it. And he may have lost his career over it because of a decision in the heat of a moment that lasted five seconds. That five-second decision may have cost him an NFL career and cost him his reputation. And he was even facing the possibility of, of criminal charges, which, which weren't filed. But this is a big deal. Five seconds in the heat of the moment. So I might suggest for any NFL player out there, and uh, I'm sure every NFL player is watching online, so hey, NFL players. You're in a sport where 22 bodies are colliding for three hours. You're gonna have a moment. You're gonna have a moment. And I would say this to anybody, you know, in any situation, in any environment where you might get, you know, heated up and you might get in an argument, think through in advance what you're gonna do when temperatures start to rise and adrenaline starts to flow. Think through it in advance so that you'll have that memory of how bad it can go because you thought it through. Proverbs 2.11 says this, wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. Wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose words are twisted. There's a whole world out there that is coming at you, full of big moments, full of opportunities for us to fail wildly or succeed wildly. Let's be prepared in advance because they watch over us. The wise moments, the moments of success watch over us. In other words, it becomes our reputation and, and it builds our legacy. But if we fail in those big moments, they also watch over us. And that also becomes our legacy. So maybe imagine going forward what those big moment scenarios might be and be prepared in your imagination. Secondly, and finally, plan proactively. Plan proactively. Uh, this isn't about just um, being uh, prepared when big moments come to us. It's about making big moments. And that's exactly what Esther did, right? Uh, Esther was wrestling through and imagining through all the scenarios in her head, but then she made a big moment happen and did something really good with her life in a, in a, in a moment that was pivotal. We can do the same. So I wanna go back to a question I started with. What is broken in this world that breaks your heart? And have an answer in your head. What's broken in this world that breaks your heart? Maybe it's children's issues, child poverty, child abuse, foster children, orphans, locally and globally. Homelessness. We have a homeless crisis. I, I, I'm not overstating that. California has 150,000 homeless. One quarter of the nation's homelessness, uh, homeless are in California. There's the addicted, an absolute uh, addiction epidemic. Um, do you want to do something about that? How about the abused, the immigrants, the refugees, 66,000 refugees, uh, 66 million refugees in the world, people groups that don't know the grace of God in Jesus Christ. You want to do something about that? Caring for single mothers, uh, caring for mothers with um, unwanted children, protecting the unborn, women's rights, women's equality, locally and globally, uh, poverty, uh, locally and globally, healthcare initiatives, environmental issues, pollution, clean water, clean air, racial equality, locally and globally. Maybe you want to do something about the esters in the world. There are 27 million slaves right now on earth. There are more slaves by number right now than at any other time in human history. 
It's not necessarily governmental slavery, but there's black markets of human beings, human smuggling, sex slavery, forced labor, child labor. It goes on and on, 27 million. Esther is not just a story about 2,400 years ago. It's taking place right now. Maybe you want to do something about that. There's a big moment waiting for you in one of these causes. There's a big moment waiting to create some margin in your good and busy life to make a difference in people's lives. To not just comment and give your opinion about these things, but to marry your opinion with action and to do something. What's the mission statement here at Rancho Community Church? Don't cheat. Ah, you're cheating. No, no, you're not cheating. Good job. All right. Mission statement at Rancho. Advancing the cause of Christ. What's that word? Advancing, advancing, advancing. It's a verb. It's like we're doing stuff. So, so we don't want to be the kind of church where we're just, we're sitting and listening and, oh, that was a good sermon because it was, and leave, you know. Or not just sitting and listening and then commenting. That was a terrible sermon. That means nothing to me unless you're actively involved. I want to listen. I want to be equipped. We're going to equip each other, not only here on Sunday mornings, but in our small groups and in our serving teams. And we're going to leave this place and we are going to be equipped to do something to change the world around us, to make big moments. And they might not be Esther-like moments where we're confronting a king and saving a nation. And, and we're not going to have big moments necessarily that are going to be celebrated in feasts 2,400 years from now. But we can live out big moments that are going to impact the people around us very profoundly our kids, our neighbors, our church family, the needy in this community, places around the world. Just little things like putting a Thanksgiving meal together and an Operation Christmas Child box, that makes a difference. That moves the needle. And so maybe God's calling you to do that to start, but then maybe there's a little bit more, a little more time invested. You get addicted to helping people and big moments can happen. And Esther knew the price that she might have paid. Esther 4.16 She's talking to Mordecai, and she understands that she is about to make a big decision in a big moment. She says, I'm going to go see the king. If I must die, I must die. She knew that this might cost her her life, but this young girl, this slave girl, was willing to pay that price. And as with most every story in the Old Testament, it's foreshadowing the story of Christ, who himself was faced with a big moment of sacrifice, who, like Esther, was also struggling. Esther didn't want to give her life. She didn't want to risk all of that for something she might might have thought wouldn't even work. Jesus struggled as Esther. He didn't want to die. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating blood. In Luke 22, he says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. But like Esther, Jesus essentially says, but if I must die, I must die. Yet I want your will to be done, Father not mine. And Jesus gave his life to bear the sins and suffering and shame of the world upon himself, to die to it all so that a new world would rise, a new world of love, a new world of peace, a new world of kindness, a new world of humanitarianism, a new world where love is the only law, a new world where we seek to meet each other's needs and sacrifice ourselves to do it. And I don't know what level of sacrifice you are willing to make right now to help somebody else, to create a big moment in your life, but maybe there's something you can do right here for such a time as this. It might be small, it might be big, I don't know. But I'm gonna suggest you do one thing. I'm not, don't do this out of any compulsion or guilt or a moment or anything, but I'm gonna put a cell number, my cell number on the screen. It's a cell number, I got two of them. It's a cell number I use for Sunday morning communications. And you can take a a shot of that, a picture of that. Uh, You can put it in your phone right now. But if you were to send me this text, 
that I want to do something to help blank and fill in that blank. I want to do something to help orphans in third world countries. I want to do something to help with education. I want to do something to help with the environment. I want to do something to help with poverty and single mothers. What I can guarantee you this is Rancho either has a ministry that can help you help others, or we have a vital partnership with somebody who can. If this perhaps is your moment, a moment for such a time as this, send me that text and be patient with me. I'm getting uh, more than a few. Um, I'm going to get you connected with somebody who just might be able to help you help others to create a big moment that could advance the cause of Christ and make this world a better place. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your great love for us and thank you for your providence. We see in the book of Esther a very disturbing story. It's a stomach-churning story. It's the worst that humanity likely has, has ever seen in terms of the behavior of, of King Xerxes, the emperor of Persia, and how this very young, innocent victim, Esther, stepped up, made a big moment at, at great personal cost and great personal sacrifice, speaking truth to power, and a nation was saved. And it's the nation that gave us Jesus Christ himself. And so we see in Esther a, a hero. And we want to be able to, to read her story and not just be interested by it, but be moved by it because she was an example of, of Christ that would come and who would lay down his life to save not only a nation, but the world. And God, we may not be called to save the world or save a nation, but we can be called to make a difference in people's lives, our kids, our neighbors, our church, our friends, our family, our community, and maybe some places in the world that could use our help. Use a little bit of our time, a few of our resources, and we can do some good. We can create a big moment. And so I pray that you would stir in each heart First, what we are passionate about. Um, make our hearts soft to the pain of this world, to the, the, the pain of, of abuse and neglect and slavery, the pain of illness and mental illness, the pain of loneliness, the pain of, of isolation, the pain of being bullied, the pain of physical suffering, that you would stir our heart to the point where we wouldn't just be busy with our own good lives, that we wouldn't just make impassioned comments, but that we would do something about it. And for maybe some here today, it's just a small, um, a small move forward that'll make a bit of a difference. For others, it might be a massive decision to make something big happen, to leave a legacy that benefits others and glorifies you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.